there is a wrong way in which to be proud. Pride goeth before a fall. But there also is a right way to be proud, as a father is proud of his son. And I was able to tell Philip how proud I was of him, especially as a husband and father and an elder in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The text that we're turning to now, 1 Corinthians 15, with an emphasis on verses 54 and 55, was the text that Philip requested that I preach in this service. He requested it when some of us were taking the Lord's Supper to him, as we uh, frequently did, and as we were discussing this wonderful passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we can really only sketch certain salient points this morning. Let's pray before reading God's Word. Once again, Heavenly Father, we know and believe that this is the inerrant Word of God, altogether authoritative. And we also know that when the gospel is preached, that it is a savor of life unto life and of death unto death. And we would ask that it would be a sweet savor in the hearts of everyone who has the opportunity to smell the aroma, the richness of the gospel this morning, and how wonderful it would be as we have prayed several times as we have come up to this point that someone might come here who is lost and leave saved, a believer in Jesus Christ, how that would glorify thy name and how it would honor thy servant, Philip. Be with us now as we turn to this text of Scripture. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. It is our habit to stand as we read Scripture together before the preaching of the Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm beginning at verse 50. This is the Word of God. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God, we grieve this morning, and well, we should, because we are seeing something of the results of the fall of man. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We know that Holy Scripture teaches us in Psalm 116 
that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And that the day of the Christian's death is better than the day of his birth, Ecclesiastes 7.1. And so the sadness that we rightly feel is not hopelessness. Our Savior took our sin and marched into the flaming furnace of the wrath of God to free his people from our sins. And then up from the grave he arose. And everything is now different because we serve a risen Savior. The resurrection of Jesus is the crown of salvation. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is the crowning chapter of the Bible on that theme. And the crown of the crown are found in verses 54 and 55. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And immediately we are faced with some fascinating and important details of this passage that feed our souls right from the start. The verb, drink down or swallow down, Paul cites from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. But now he puts it into a passive voice. Death no longer holds sway in victory because death has been swallowed up in victory. And he uses direct address. And he says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? And so the Apostle Paul, by faith, looking to the last day when Jesus Christ comes again, stares death in the face and announces that Christ has won the victory over death and we have victory over death in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has freed believers from death. And it's an astounding claim. From where did death come? It is the result of the fall of Adam, the representative head of the human race, who broke the law of God. The first representative man, representative of all of us, fell into sin, and death came into the world through Adam's disobedience. But what is death? And perhaps you say, well, pastor, we all know what death is, but I'm not sure that that is the case. For our culture wants us to think that death is simply, is simply part of the life cycle, that death is something natural, but the scriptures teach us differently. There's nothing natural about death. It is the most unnatural thing in the world because it is the result of Adam's fall and sin that came into the world. And so if we're going to understand the profundity of what the Apostle Paul is saying here about resurrection in the last day, the resurrection of our brother Philip in the last day, then we must understand what death is. And so that is first. What is death? In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die, God said to Adam. And he did sin, and he did die, and all of his posterity in him. And that death is, first of all, judicial, which means that we stand in a courtroom before God who is absolutely and completely and utterly holy, and we are condemned in his court of law. And there is guilt and just wrath against us for our sin. It is judicial. But also death includes, obviously, the death of the body, the corruption of the body, the weakness of the body, the return of the body to dust. So that when we turn to Genesis chapter 5 and we see Adam's genealogy, 
There's a refrain, and he died, 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 like, like clods of earth upon a coffin, one after the other, reminding us no longer is Adam in paradise, but he and his posterity now die because of the sin of Adam. And then there's the death of the soul, and by that I do not mean the cessation of the soul, but the corruption of human nature, our depravity due to sin, our wills that are bound in sin. The truth is almost forgotten in our culture, but the great theologians of the church always referenced original sin, which means the corruption of our nature due to the Adam fall. And we read in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So that we're not born innocent, but we are born depraved and sinful. Which includes the corruption of our understanding, of our wills, of our affections, and even of our consciences. And then a great part of death also, according to the Scriptures, is fear. Yes, fear. Eternal judgment is written upon our hearts. And sin, infinitely heinous, because we have sinned against an infinitely holy God, means that there must be judgment. And in John chapter 5, as the Lord Jesus Christ references the resurrection of the just and the unjust, one of our Presbyterian forefathers, Thomas Boston, says, they shall be dragged forth, that is, the unjust, They shall be dragged forth like so many malefactors out of a dungeon to be led to execution. Christ is coming again in judgment. And through the world, the trumpet will be heard. And way down in the sea and on tops of mountains and in cemeteries and graveyards throughout the globe, scattered dust will come together and every soul will be reunited with that resurrected body. And there will be the voice of the Savior, come to final sentencing. And so to sum it up, all of this is death. And sin must be punished. And death is not natural. And it's not simply part of the life cycle. Death is the result of the fall of Adam. It is real and it is certain, unavoidable. So that in verse 56, it speaks of the sting of death, like an animal with a poison stinger. And if something is to be done about death, that sting must be removed. Death stings so that children die, and it makes widows and widowers, and it brings sorrow into our lives and pain and suffering. But Paul the Apostle, by divine inspiration writing here, stares death in the face, and he addresses death with victory. How can he do that? What did Christ do to defeat death? Well, holy wrath was poured out on Christ as he paid the penalty of the sins of sinners like us. In Romans 4.25 we read, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Guilt removed. Righteousness imputed in God's court of law. I quote from one of our great theologians of the period of the Puritan age in England when he speaks of God sending his own son into this world to die for us. And he says the father would have the most excellent person, one next in order to himself and equal to him in all the glorious perfections of his nature, die on a disgraceful cross 
and be exposed to the flames of divine wrath, rather than sin should live and his holiness remain forever disparaged by the violations of his law. God seems to lay aside the powels of a father and put on the garb of an irreconcilable enemy, which means that Christ, when he was on the cross, endured the wrath of God that I deserved and every sinner who comes to faith in Christ deserves. And so that we read in Isaiah 53, verse 10, it pleased the Lord to crush him, putting him to grief. And Jesus died, really died. And his body was sealed in a stone-cold tomb, but his dead body did not see corruption. He rose on the third day, and death cannot keep its prey. What did Christ do to defeat death? He took the sting totally. He took it into his body on the cross. He took it into the tomb. He rose on the third day. And he destroyed death's sting and power forever. Thank God when Adam fell, he fell on Christ, the Redeemer, who did this for sinners. So what does this now mean for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Believers like Philip. Believers like many of us here today. Well, death brought condemnation. Were we under condemnation before coming to Christ? Yes, indeed. We were under condemnation and under the wrath of God. But now, no penalty remains for any believer in Jesus Christ. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 Were we dead in trespasses and sins? Yes, but He has regenerated His people. He has now made us alive in Christ. Will our bodies die? Yes, our bodies will die. But now in Scripture, they are said to sleep. And why are they said to sleep? Our bodies, the bodies of believers, are said to sleep because sleeping people wake up. And in 1 Corinthians, we are told that with incorruptible, glorious, powerful, Holy Spirit-possessed bodies... Philip Miles will be raised by Jesus Christ in the last day with every believer in Christ who has died. Earlier in this book, it speaks of the seed, and that seed cannot live unless it die. And it compares the body going into the earth and into the grave as a seed that will germinate and will grow and flower into something in incredibly magnificent when Jesus comes again. Will Jesus Christ the judge return? He will return in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not gospel and know not Christ and obey not the gospel, the scriptures teach us. But every believer in Christ can now sing, bold shall I stand in thy great day. And we can do that because we are dressed in the completely righteous robe of Jesus Christ. Did death grip us in fear? Yes, death gripped us in fear. But Hebrews 2.14 says, Christ came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So that a Philip Miles though not relishing the process of death, 
had no fear of the consequences of death. You know, I remember so well when we were singing in your home and we were singing the Christmas carol, Good Christian Men Rejoice, with heart and soul and voice, and I could not help but sing my loudest, Now ye need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ is born to save. We need not fear, believer. Do we stand at the graves of believing friends and family? Yes, we do. And our brother's body will be laid in the soil of the state of Georgia in a few days. But the Scriptures teach us the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Do we once, did we once flounder without a sense of eternal purpose in our lives? Indeed, we did. But that is no longer true for any believer in Christ, because we read at the end of this chapter, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So what does Christ's resurrection mean for you, believer? It means that the sting of death is removed, that there is no condemnation for you, that you are alive in Christ, that your body will be raised, that there will be this bold confidence on the day of judgment because we are dressed completely in the righteousness of Christ and that we may have a life without fear of death, gospel comfort at the graves of believing loved ones, and a purposeful life and a guaranteed certain future. All because Jesus Christ rose on the third day because the same body that was placed in the tomb rose from the tomb. And he went through the experience of death for us. Just as he died for us, he went through death for us. And as he rose from the dead, he conquered death. There was the death of death in the death of Christ and in his resurrection from the grave. And most of all, in body and soul, we will be free from sin when we see Jesus. Now that is true already of Philip. He is in the presence of the Lord and there is no sin within his soul. But his body also and soul reunited, glorified, will be free from sin in the eternal state. What does this mean specifically for the body? Oh, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians unpacks this glorious truth for us. We are told that it was put into the ground in corruption, but it will be raised in incorruption. That it was placed into the ground in weakness, but it will be raised in supernatural almighty power. That it will be raised a spiritual body. And this does not mean a ghostly body, an immaterial body. It means Philip's body will be Holy Spirit indwelt, Holy Spirit animated, a body prepared to live in glory forever with his soul, to live in a completely Holy Spirit-saturated and controlled environment. And this happens when our risen, regnant Jesus returns on the last day. 
And so no wonder, even though the New Testament does teach us clearly that when the believer dies, he goes immediately to heaven and is in the presence of the Lord, the stress of the New Testament is not there. The stress of the New Testament is on the resurrection of the body in the last day. And we are taught to anticipate that day and to live in its reality with the greatest of joy. There will be no pain. There will be no sorrow. There will be no ALS. And our Savior will take his cotton handkerchief and wipe every tear from the eyes of believers in Jesus Christ. Believer with joy, let us look forward to that day. And with the poet, let us learn to sing. Put these sepulchral shades to flight. Flash out, O resurrection light. Lord Jesus, quickly come. Come with thy beauteous diadem. Come with embattled cherubim. Come with a shout of seraphim. Come on thy seat of radiant cloud. Come with the archangel's trumpet loud. Come, Savior, let the heavens be bowed. Lord Jesus, quickly come. Which is why every service in this church concludes with the congregation shouting out, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now let me bring some final thoughts to us. The coming of Christ on the last day, based on His resurrection, Christ's resurrection from the dead, is held out as our great Christian hope. We spoke of it, we confessed it in the words of the Apostles' Creed earlier. All our hope is anchored in His resurrection from the dead, that great event of the resurrection of of Jesus from the dead. And that same body that went into the tomb was raised from the tomb, and our bodies in union with Christ will follow suit. And every believer has this hope. And hope does not mean a shrug of the shoulders, and I don't know. Hope in Scripture means certainty. We can live in the certainty of faith because our Savior rose from the dead. And the application of redemption is not complete until the resurrection when the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And I look forward to that day. Oh, may this radiant truth move us to live in hope and share this message just as Philip loved to share this message. So from the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, the call comes for you and for me to believe, to trust in Christ, to completely rest on Christ, to be done with any work of righteousness that we ever supposed we could do because it is but a filthy rag, and to trust in Christ alone. And so the Scriptures say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But if you reject the Son of God, if you reject his gospel, the resurrection should be a terror to you. Because Jesus Christ was not raised as a diplomat to negotiate, but as the Lord of the dead and the living. You know, Elizabeth I on her deathbed 
cried out, call time again, call time again, a world of wealth for an inch of time, but time as we know it will be no more. There will be the long stretch of eternity. How wonderful to have come to a funeral and to leave a new man or woman in Christ if you do not know him. How wonderful to have come lost and to, lay, and to leave saved and trusting in Christ. And for all who trust in Christ, the sting and power of death has been removed because Christ Jesus defeated death when he rose bodily from the grave. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I simply ask you, have you acknowledged that you are a sinner? Have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins? Do you know that your sins have been pardoned? And there is only one who can do it, and that is Jesus Christ who shed his blood to save sinners like us. Do you know this? Is his perfect record, his righteousness, credited to your account, received by faith alone, so that you can stand boldly and confidently when Jesus comes again? And for those of us who do know him, to conclude the words of that lovely poem, and when the astonished heaven shall flee, when power of earth and hell to thee shall bend the reverential knee, be ours the happy lot to stand among the white-robed ransomed band and hear thee say with outstretched hand, ye blessed children, come. And so our Savior has said to Philip, My child, come. It was his time to come. But the day will come in which Jesus returns and his body will be gloriously raised. And the Savior will say, My child, come. You will see him again. You will see him again. Praise be the Lord. Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen.